bit of echo up here. If that could be wound back, I'd find that a lot easier. I have known many people who have... Can we, I don't know who's on the sound. Can we just wind it back a little bit and I'll try and push because I, I find it really hard when it's shaking up around here. Um, I have known many people who have died. I'm sure you have and it's sad. And the reality is that I miss them. And I wish I could see them again. I wish they'd come back. But none have. Not one. I don't know if you've had that experience. Can we just wound it? I'm still finding it quite echoey behind me. I don't know if you've had that experience where you're in the shops or a market and you see someone in the distance, you think it's, it's, it's somebody who's passed away, but it's not. And they turn around and it's never them. Because people don't come back from the dead. I don't know anybody who's come back from the dead. I don't know anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who has come back from the dead. I haven't heard a news report yet of somebody who has come back from the dead. And yes, I have heard stories. But I have to tell you, I am still a skeptic that people have come back when they have truly been dead. All eventually die, even if they have. No one has risen from the dead. Except, says the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, we aren't the one we call the Christ. And today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and today we have been singing and we have been praying and we've been reading about Jesus of Nazareth who came back from the dead and the whole Bible story is predicated on this one truth. Everything to do depends upon Jesus coming back from the dead. I tell you now, it is hard to believe because we've got a room full of investigative journalists here who have done a bit of research and it just doesn't happen. I want to ask this morning, can it be true? Because the Bible says it can and it must be true. Jesus rose from the dead. All four Gospels, the stories of Jesus, all climax with the resurrection of Jesus from that grave in Jerusalem. They tell the story from different perspectives. They're slightly different, but they've all got the same basic message. I want this morning to look at the Gospel of John, which we're looking at this year, and look at the story that was read in the Gospel of Question. Ask the question, can it be true? What John records here. See, it's written by one of Jesus' disciples, John. In John's Gospel, he never refers to himself by name, always in a secondary way. So in this passage, he refers to himself as the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John writes as an eyewitness. I was there, I saw. The first verse in our chapter is not, not an eyewitness account. It's second person. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb 
and saw that the stone had been removed from the Now comes our first eyewitness, John. She came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Most of our life we forget. You will probably, I hope some of you might remember, but you will probably forget today and probably forget this service. But there are moments, aren't there, that you remember. There are moments that stick in your memory because at the time they were so significant and in those moments, very often, the tape slows down. And you zoom in and you remember the details. And you never forget some of those little details because this moment stuck with me. Well, let's zoom in for a moment with John because this is a significant time in his life. This man, Jesus, he'd followed him for three years. He was a young man. He'd saw him do this incredible stuff. He watched all the miracles he performed. He loved this man. He called him Master. He called him Lord. He called him the Messiah, the Christ. And he goes with him into Jerusalem and he's a little bit scared because he's got contacts in Jerusalem and he watches him be received as king and then be accused and betrayed and arrested and beaten and nailed to a cross. John has stood beside Jesus' mother Mary and watched Jesus die, watched him breathe his last and saw him taken down, bloody and horrible, off that cross, wrapped up in clothing and taken off to be buried. This is a big moment in John's life. Day number one. I'm just... Watched it all. I don't know if he slept that night. Day number two. Isolation, isolation, fear and isolation. Day number three. John gets up early in the morning. He has to deal with this. He cannot let this sit. He has to go and see where they laid the body of Jesus. He's got a process because I just don't understand this. I've given my life for this. And he gets up with his mate Peter early, early, early in the morning to go to the grave. And on the way, they meet their friend Mary Magdalene and she's in a fluster. She's been running. She's short of breath. They've taken the body Away, they've taken his body. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. They've taken the body? I feel this anger. I feel this pain. I feel this confusion. I feel this, I don't know what. You mean they've taken the body? Uh, And he starts running. And Peter starts running. And John's probably a bit younger. Oh, he's obviously fitter. John, John, I remember. I remember we're both running and I'm getting ahead of Peter. He probably didn't remember it like that. He just remembers being crazily mad and running and going faster than Peter and getting to the tomb before Peter does. 
those details of that early morning jog with madness running through their heads. And then the shock. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Pete catches up with him. Pete's impulsive. Pete doesn't second guess. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Peter's gone in. I remember Peter, I guess, he follows Peter into this tomb. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And you'll never forget that because the tomb is empty. There's Peter and there am I. But it's not empty because on this side there's the cloth that they had in Jesus' body wrapped up. I remember the details. And on this side there's the cloth that would have gone over his face They're organised and the tomb is empty. I remember that. I remember the cloth on this and I remember nothing else except my mate Peter standing next to me. And then you remember what you were thinking. This dawning realisation. Initially the thought just came to my mind. (laughs) No. No, it can't be that. It couldn't be, could it? And then I started thinking about what Jesus did and I started thinking about what Jesus said and I start recalling who I believed that Jesus was before I saw him die and the thought kept growing and the thought kept growing and got bigger and bigger in my mind as I'm standing in this tomb. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. That is John. I remember standing there thinking he's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. They still do not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Confusion and disbelief gives way to conviction And I don't know about you, but what stuns me, what I've tried to give you a sense of, this reads like an eyewitness account. This reads like that process, I'll never forget this, and everything slows down, and I zoom in, I remember these funny odd little details. And I wasn't expecting anything except a stone across a tomb. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And John went back thinking, I think Jesus is alive. I'm sure that he is alive. But really, can it be true? Scene shifts, we move on to the woman who got there first, Mary Magdalene. Uh, This is not an eyewitness account now. This is now a second-hand report. As Mary no doubt shared her story with John, but it was a good story. And if it's a good story that relates to your story, you remember the good story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. 
They asked a woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they've put him. She is deep in grief. She was the first one up, the first one gone. She is not processing. If you've been deep in grief, there's not a lot of processing going on. She's overwhelmed. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she didn't realise that it was Jesus because she's not processing and she's not expecting. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. See, it can't be true. She's not processing. You're the gardener because you're here and all this madness and what the heck have you people done with my Lord? Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she threw herself upon him in joy of recognition. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that she that he had said these things to her and she is overwhelmed with joy. She tells them. It's a great story. John remembered the story. It matched his story and he wrote it down. But can it be true? Resurrection described by an extremely emotional woman with a dubious past. Would you believe someone like that? They knew Mary was a bit of a flutter butter. Uh, I think the disciples are now confused. John's come back, Peter's come back, the body's gone. Mary comes back, I've seen the Lord. Oh, woman... <laughs> Oh, baby John, he'd be the youngest of the disciples, perhaps the softest of the disciples. We don't need this nonsense now. We don't need your bull now. We don't need your fantasies now. You see, that evening they're still together and they're still living in fear and they're still isolated. And then John, who's almost certainly with them, recounts this story. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, full of confidence that Jesus has risen from the dead, yeah? Not. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Were they expecting this? No. They were hiding and fearful. 
But when they saw Jesus, when they saw his hands, when they saw the mark in his side, they too are overwhelmed with joy. The sort of joy, if you've ever had it, you can't even express in fullness, but you never forget. A sort of joy that sits here, because it never quite makes it here and here, because it's too good. And they're overwhelmed with joy. And they are convinced beyond any doubt that it is true because there's Jesus. He's risen. And the other reason they remember this event is because it was such a significant event in in the rest of their entire lives. Life for these people would never be the same again. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Here these 12 disciples, or not quite 12, here these 10 disciples are commissioned to serve Jesus and to tell the world that he has risen from the dead. And that is what each one of those men did with the rest of their lives. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is my Lord. I want you to know. And many of them live very short lives because they were killed for that message. Who would do that? I'll tell you who would do that. Someone who saw Jesus, saw his hands and his sides and was overwhelmed with joy and said this is the Lord of the universe. That is who would do that. Even if it costs me my life, even if I am crucified upside down, I will never stop saying Jesus is Lord because I know it's true. But not all believed. I mean, you don't believe that people rise from the dead, for goodness sakes. Here's what John records. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Tommy, we've seen him, Jesus. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of your delusional fantasies and your grief. I bet they are frustrated with Thomas. Ten of them, we've seen him, Tom. We've seen him. We're in the room together and he came and he stood with us. I think they're probably also a bit frustrated with Jesus. We've seen him, Thomas. We've seen Well, I haven't seen him. The next, we've seen him, Tom. Hello, where is he? The next day, Thomas, believe me, we saw him three days. Where? Show me. Show me his hands. Show me his side and I'll believe. Dave, where? Uh, Thomas, we saw him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. 
see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, Oh my Lord and my God. It is true. It is true. Jesus has risen from the dead and there are obvious implications, my Lord and my God. Uh, maybe we don't like to Thomas bow his knee? Did he fall on the floor? Did he embrace my Lord and my God? Nobody in this story expected Jesus to rise from the dead because that doesn't happen. But John records his story starting with himself and says we all saw and we all now believe without any doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. They personally encountered the risen Lord Jesus. In this passage, Jesus said to Mary at the tomb, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so says, Mary, I'm here for a while, but I'm going back to my Father. And so we live after that ascension and we do not see the body of the risen Lord Jesus. We do not see his hands pierced and his side. So then what about us? Seriously, can it be true? Because dead people don't come back. Is it all just a story? Here's what Jesus said to Thomas when he met him. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and I. And John concludes, almost, almost the conclusion of his gospel, there's one chapter to go, but this is really the sort of the wrap-up of the big story. After the resurrection, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these ones are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says it was true, I saw it, I was there, and I'm writing so that you too can believe and find salvation and life in Jesus who alone is life. And this reality, this resurrection of Jesus from the dead, John assures us, it's true. I was there and that's why I've written this down. See, the entire Bible story, the whole Christian enterprise, hangs on a single thread. Let's call it a single thin, thin, thin thread because everything hangs on this, chop it and the whole enterprise falls apart. The whole of Christian faith 
hangs on the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Chop that cord, you have no Christian faith. Chop that cord, every believer has no hope and is plunged into hopelessness. Take fast of that cord and you have life, eternal. The Apostle Paul also met the risen Lord Jesus much later after his ascension, a special appearance. He writes to Christians in the city of Corinth who are struggling with their faith and struggling with each other, kind of a regular church, regular people like you and me. And he reminds them of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, What I received I passed on to you guys as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, Good Friday, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. He was dead. And he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and he appeared, and it was real, to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, says Paul decades later but some whom have fallen asleep then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles the last of all he appeared to me says Paul as one abnormally born Paul says it's true it's been seen he's been seen by hundreds he's been seen by me it's true and all those apostles gave their life because they saw Jesus to tell you about Jesus and Paul says I'm giving my life because it's true. A little later in this same chapter, and Daniel will be speaking on this tonight, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. Paul, you're a liar. John, you're a liar. Peter, you're a liar. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If he hasn't been raised, I'm a big, fat, pork pie liar. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. This is in the Bible. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, your faith is futile. Futile, and you are still in your sins. And those who have already fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. Paul says, if only for this life we have faith, we have, if only for this life we have hope in Christ. Oh, you're a Christian, you've got that belief in the resurrection and hope. Doesn't that make you feel better? Doesn't that give you something to live for? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Because you're living a lie. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, nothing is more important than to lay hold of the life and forgiveness he offers. So I want to leave you with a simple challenge this Sunday morning. All of us, dead people stay dead. That is your experience. That sadly is my experience. Resurrection is frankly incredulous. 
But for the Christian, everything hangs on the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ dead, to, from the dead. I just want you to ask, can it be true? Because I want to challenge you and say it's worth checking out. It's worth checking out intellectually and relationally and spiritually. Uh, you ask me why I know he lives, he lives within my heart. There's a spiritual answer. You ask me why I know he lives because I've looked at the data and I'm convinced. That's the intellectual answer. You ask me why I know he lives because I'm in church and people love me and I love them and I've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's a relational answer. I suggest you check it out. We are reading through John's Gospel starting Monday week. We're saying either buy this book or get this piece of paper and spend one school term reading through the Gospel of John. Check out Jesus. Can it be true? Seriously, get this, read the Gospel and be a sceptic. I challenge you. Read John's Gospel and be a sceptic. But keep asking, can it be true? Every newcomer we give a pack of goodies. Included in that pack of goodies is this white book, The Case for the Resurrection, written by Lee Strobel. They are sitting out on our reception desk. Take one. You don't even need the welcome pack. Take one. Can it be true? Here's some arguments that yes, it certainly is true. There has been a movie just produced. It will be in the cinemas in a couple of weeks' time. It's a story of Lee Strobel who wrote this book, who checked it out. He was an atheist. He checked it out and he is convinced it's true that Jesus rose from the dead. Check it out. Don't rest. Ask God to reveal himself. And if you check it out, here's my challenge, if you check it out and you're utterly convinced that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then stick with your convictions. But if you check it out and it stirs your spirit and it leaves you anxious because the data and the reality seems disturbing, don't push it away. Don't push it back. Don't push it away and check it out. And let the truth sit where the truth lands. Because I'm convinced it's the truth. Don't make your decision on a preferred hunch because your preferred hunch, except for the hope of eternal life, is that he didn't rise from the dead because if he did rise from the dead, he is Lord in God and you need to deal with that. Mary Magdalene, John, Peter, the other disciples, doubting Thomas, were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. They gave everything because of that truth. And what for ourselves this Easter Sunday, will we give everything, will we say, my Lord and my God, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us. Lord Jesus, we just have been saying, I have been saying that you are real and you are true. In the power of your truth, reveal yourself to us. 
in the power of your name, reveal yourself to us and give us a share of your life, we ask, to your powerful glory. Amen. Can it be true? What do we believe? It is important, the things we believe. So in song, let's affirm again what we believe as we sing the creed. This I believe.